Good morning. Welcome to the Center for Spiritual Living. I'm Reverend Patrick Cameron, and it's my privilege to be with you today. So if you're here for the first time, welcome. We have a little tradition that we sing a song and we say a prayer. invite you to be mindful in this moment of how that song opens us as we take in the air and we relax our shoulders our breathing becomes quieter and our minds follow and so let our knowing in this moment be to recognize that one activity that one power that one presence that one infinite intelligence that lives in and through and around all of life and also is at the very core of our being and when it we acknowledge that we come into absolute perfect union with that experience and so what I know in this moment for myself is that is my truth I'm available to that idea and so what I know as well that whatever follows by means of that declaration by means of me turning inward and looking everything right and perfect that is seeking expression in this moment that not only addresses the heartfelt need of this community but the ideas and the inspiration and the seeds of potential and possibility that allow each and every one of us to move forward powerfully and wonderfully supported and resourced and understanding that the truth of our being is far more powerful and wonderful than anything that exists in our current state of affairs that we are equipped in every way possible to be this divine expression of life to be that clean hollow vessel of divine receptivity and expression and so I know that everything that unfolds by means of our gathering this day supports each and every one of us directly and indirectly we are in this together as brothers and sisters so may we be mindful of that may we be open receptive to whatever is right and perfect for us in each moment and so I just give thanks beforehand for the success of our gathering for the success of our lives from this point forward for all that has been for all that is and all that is yet to be revealed I give thanks and together we say and so it is beautiful day huh I was outside between services and I've been here 
oh, I came in November of 2002, about five and a half, a little over five and a half years. And I remember as uh, Sue was up doing the reading this morning, that when we came, Laura and I came together and we were candidating, and they had Sue running us around town along with Tammy Banting sort of coordinating. And so uh, they didn't tell us that the weather, which was identical to today, was not exactly this way every weekend. <laughs> we thought, this is just like Southern California. We can move here. We're used to this. But variety is the spice of life is all I have to say. So. Anyway, uh, today we are talking about how the universe conspires for you. So how does that work? Everything that, ha- that can be seen, experienced, and known is an emanation of pure spirit. Everything that can be seen, experienced, and known is an emanation of pure spirit. That's what we believe in this teaching, in our tradition. And actually, if you examine and go to the depths of every tradition, they believe the same thing. <clears throat> but they, have in some way, shape, or form, have diverted that at times. But it's all God in expression, every bit of it. It's either all God in expression or it isn't. There's no halfway, there's no point where we can say, where does God stop and and we begin? Because we are that. We are, as Dr. Holmes said, planting our desire in the garden of a creative law of mind which provides a plant exactly like the seed and never anything else. Once again, we are planting our desire in the garden of the creative law of mind which produces a plant exactly like the seed and never anything else. In other words, we cannot have an an experience contrary to the seeds that we have been planting, which is good news and not so good news sometimes. But it's the truth. Our lives are a direct result of the thoughts that preceded the experiences that we've had. Consciousness always precedes being. Dr. Holmes had this to say, which I think is quite beautiful. The arrogant have not perceived the simplicity of faith, but the pure of heart see God. The farmer has seen the heavenly host in his fields. The child has frolicked with him at play. The mother has clasped him to her breast, and the fond lover has seen him in the eyes of his beloved. We look too far away for reality, which Dr. Holmes would call another, another term for God, the big R, the truth of our being. We look too far away. In, in, in the tradition I was raised in, God was out there somewhere. It was a being. It was a man on a cloud keeping track of what I was doing, keeping score. And then I would go in on Saturdays and confess, and I'd get the, the slate cleaned, and I'd go back out and have another week of fun and go back in and erase the slate. And I thought, this is kind of redundant, isn't it? That this is the way it worked, and that's the way it was indoctrinated. And I realized that <clears throat> there was probably a little more that I was missing something along the way. So anyway, the Buddhists would call this imprints. There's imprints. We are imprinting. In the, the, the diamond cutter, Michael Roche calls it putty. He uses the metaphor putty. Putty, whenever it gets exposed to anything, that thing makes an imprint on the putty. So remember silly putty or if you have some real soft putty? and whenever you, Whatever you impress that with, it makes an imprint. And every thought, every moment, we're making an imprint. And as the Buddhists say, nothing is right or wrong, good or bad. It just is. It's the experience. For some, things are a tragedy. For some, a celebration. And so we are the ones that bring our own biases, our own subjective nature to that experience. But it is with the imprints that we live our lives. So this act of of waking up, as Anna's song said, we're waking up. And don't go back to sleep. That's the challenge. You know, we, we forget. We forget. And then we remember we forgot, and then we bring ourselves back. And my spiritual practice has been that the time that I go to sleep or forget is less... There's less duration. We used to be asleep all the time. So we either live our lives consciously or unconsciously. 
So we have to decide what, what club we're in, the conscious or the unconscious club. William James wrote a book, As a Man Thinketh, years and years and years ago, turn of the century. And what he realized, the reason that he was inspired or brought to that awareness or that experience was because he was struggling with his physical health. And over a period of time, he found that as he chose health, as he chose more interesting and, and ideas that he was drawn to, he, he brought himself back, he restored his health completely. And as a result of that experience, he realized that choosing, not just thinking, but choosing actively and going to work there was, was very powerful and very effective. So when we start to wake up, we realize the parts of us that are asleep, the parts of us where we sell ourselves short. So we have to decide what club that we want to belong to. We have the, you, can, you can be in anger or you can be in patience. You can be in greed or, or generosity. You can be in the jealousy club. You can be in the sadness club or not. But we've all found ourselves there. I had a lady this morning at the early service came up to me just before we started. And she said, I need to, can I talk to you? And I said, sure. And, and uh, standing right here. And she said, my husband passed away on Wednesday, 53 years old, unexpectedly. And, and it was just such a, a, a profoundly sad moment. You know, our teaching isn't that we deny the reality of life or the reality of the situation, but to be fully present with someone in their sorrow and to open our hearts and say, I'm so sorry for this. What can I do to help you? And so we're not a teaching that denies what, what, the facts of life, but what we realize is that is if, if we are to believe that God is in, every, in and through and has everything, then this too is God, that all of us are on this, this pathway. And I believe that when our time, when our time frame is complete on this incarnation that we will graduate as this man did last week. Now that doesn't diminish the sorrow. That doesn't diminish the heartache and the heartbreak at all. But it's, I think it's the way last week we had the question and answer. A lot of questions about death. Where do we go after this life? And Dr. Holmes said life is a continuing outward and upward spiral. We see it on the planet. We see it in the evolution of many different pieces of our, our um, our life on this planet. If you look back, it, sports is, a, is a, a metaphor for an example of this. I've been reading a book on, uh, by David Halberstein, and he was a, he's an amazing author, but he, he's got a book about his articles on sports. And he talks about the opening of consciousness, the opening of compassion, and he uses the example when Jackie Robinson was the first black baseball player in the, in the, the um, uh, professional baseball league in the United States what that took for him to do that. See, Peter O'Malley at the time, when he was looking for the right baseball player, said, because Jackie said to him, what do you want? You want somebody with enough courage to fight back? He said, no, I want somebody with enough courage not to fight back. And so he went from Jackie Robinson, who had to absorb all the blows and all the abuse based on fear and ignorance, because what I know when I was born there is that that country's, it's, that's a possibility to go into the darkness and to go into the hate and the bias and the prejudice. It's also a country that stands for possibility and freedom and the opportunity for each person to live their most brilliant experience. And so that culture had a chance to choose. And Jackie Robinson led that charge. And then a few decades later, Muhammad Ali showed up, who was Cassius Clay. And what he did is he said, I mean, you know what, I'm a professional boxer, but I'm not going to go fight the Viet Cong because I got nothing against the Viet Cong. And so a lot of people, based on generation, some hated him, some loved him. The point is, all of this is a reflection of consciousness that shifts. And when we look at it and we study it, and then all of a sudden we come to Michael Jordan, who became this icon. But it, it's the incarnation, it's a shift and change in consciousness. And we can choose to, to stay in the, the bias and the prejudice about ourselves, not just racially 
or we can choose to have a bigger idea. But I use that as an example because I think it's a prime example of how consciousness shifts and changes, and it's reflected in popular culture. And the things that Muhammad Ali stood for, he was right. Now that all the information has come out about Vietnam and all, the, all of these biases and why we fought this war, and we're repeating that in, in, in Iraq, or the United States is, and I'm still a, a U.S. citizen, but I'm watching that evolution. I think, isn't it interesting how until the consciousness shifts, you'll con continue to repeat the same activity. Once again, it's empty. Is it right or wrong, good or bad? Depends on where you stand. I'm not going to go there with you, but I'm using it as a metaphor for how this thing works. So we have to decide what club we're going to be in. The golf club doesn't attract tennis players. You want to be a golfer? You, you're, you're not, the tennis club is not going to attract, and the ski club is not going to attract golfers. So, if you want to know what club you're in, look around. What is your life telling you? Because your life will, will tell you what club you're in, who you're around, who you're hanging out with. There's the, there's the, um, the greed versus generosity club. Do you live in the greed club or do you live in the generosity club? As I said last week, a wealthy people give three times more than your average person because they understand the flow of life. They understand what the source is, and they love to live in that flow. So there's a great story that illustrates this, <coughs> this idea around greed. Nasruddin one day shows up at the marketplace. Now, Nasruddin is a Sufi trickster and, and jokester, and he's, he's used throughout the, the Sufi and Islamic tradition to, to uh, make points and illustrate uh, ideas. So Nasruddin would show up every, every day, start showing up at the marketplace, and he had a beautiful donkey. And he was selling the donkey for a price way below what anybody else was selling the donkeys for. And every day he'd get there, and within 15, 20 minutes, he'd have the donkey sold, and he'd go home. And the rest of the donkey salesmen, because it's kind of like a used car lot, but they're donkeys, they're all standing there holding their donkeys, and they're watching Nasruddin. And finally one day, the, 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 the top salesman said to Nasruddin, he said, what are you doing? He said, you're showing up in the morning. He said, you're selling a donkey way below what I can afford to sell a donkey for. He says, as a matter of fact, I'm the wealthiest donkey dealer in town. There's something to aspire to, isn't it? The wealthiest donkey dealer in town. Anyway, he said, you know what? As a matter of fact, I own my own farm. And I raise my own grain. And I have people who owe me money that work that land for free. And Ned Rudens looked at him and said, wow, isn't that something? He said, you've stolen the land. You've stolen the grain and you've stolen the labor to feed your donkeys. He says, but even with that, I cannot sell a donkey for what you're selling a donkey for. And Nezrudin says, well, simple. He said, you've got all that in place, but you need to do what I'm doing. I'm stealing the donkeys. <laughs> so, but, yeah. Yeah, I'm losing $3 on every sale, but I'll make it up for in volume, you know what I mean? The... Um, and the point with all that is it's all, it's all a, a reflection of greed, all of it. So you're in the greed club, and you're looking for ways to manipulate it and take things that don't belong to you or, or manipulate or abuse people or be, abuse relationships. And so there's an ex example of are you in the greed club or are you in the generosity club? Because if, you you know, if you're stealing donkeys, pretty soon they're going to start looking for you. You're always looking over your shoulder. There's the, um, the concern about what other people think of us club out in the world and one day Nazarudin happens to be back up on his roof and he's fixing his roof and he's nailing away and he's got about six ladders up to get to the top of this thing it's very tall and he's on the top of the roof and all of a sudden he hears this voice yelling for him down on the courtyard he looks down and it's his neighbor he says what do you want he says I can't I can't yell it up to you I need to talk to you down here he says come on down and he says oh okay and he goes back down he climbs down all the ladders he gets down he says what he said I need to borrow some money 
Ezra and says, you couldn't yell that up to me? I had to come all the way down here to find out you need money? He said, yeah, I don't want anybody to know. I don't want anybody to hear. I'm strapped. Ezra says, well, look. He said, come up. I got to get this done. Come on up and help me, and then we'll talk. So the guy goes up, and he spends the entire late morning and afternoon fixing the roof with Nazarud, and they get it all done. They get the ladders all done. They put everything away. Nazarud stands and looks the guy in the eye, and he says, now I need to tell you, I don't have any money to lend you. He says, well, why didn't you tell me that six hours ago? He says, well, I didn't want to yell that down to you, and everybody would know that I didn't have any money. <laughs> so it depends on what club you're in. Worrying about the, opinion of, the good opinion of others. <clears throat> so how do we get out of the club we're in if we don't like the club? We look around and we say, I don't like this club that I'm in. I don't want to be a member of this club anymore. I'm, re- I'm, I'm, I'm giving back my, my membership. Well, the tool that we use here is affirmative prayer. And many people have, have uh, I'm reminded quite frequently, it's a simple uh, uh, technique, and it becomes an art form in your life as you move along. And so we teach it in our classes. We teach affirmative prayer here, and we, tr- and we, we back it up with what we know to be true. And as you look at the, the you know, current books, the Eckhart Tolle book, and many of the other things that are quite current, they're all saying the same thing. He's saying the same thing Dr. Holmes said. You know, we look too far away for reality. We look too far away for God. The farmer sees it in his field. The child plays with it, frolics with it, as, as he or she plays. The mother clutches it to her breast. So we look too far away. So the tool that we, we use and we emphasize, because it is, a, it is a high calling, it is high mysticism. And when we use spiritual mind treatment effectively, things change and shift. So I got this email, if you were here for the Mameza Choir, anybody here for the Mameza Choir for that concert? I want to read this to you, this came in this week, and it, it's, it's an amazing email. We were getting on a, the plane to go to Seattle for our branding, we left on Tuesday, came back Thursday at midnight, we're part of the branding for the organization, so we went to Seattle for the next round of information, sharing, and, and fleshing out things, and, uh, but on the way, as I was getting on the plane, I got this, this letter from Holly, who led the choir, she was the person that the the musician in Edmonton that recruited them to come. And, and so they spent, a, uh, I think it was eight weeks here in the, in the province raising money and, and sharing their music. It says, Hello, Reverend Cameron. Holly here from the Mameza Africa Choir. The choir returned to Africa May 16th after eight very exciting and successful weeks. And we are currently making plans to do another tour next spring. So we'll want to make sure that we, we uh, invite them back. It was harder than hard to bid farewell to them once again, so thoughts of another tour keep our spirits lifted until we meet again. I wanted to touch base with you for a few reasons. The first being, I want you to know that the show we did at the center was the one by which all others were measured. We had a truly fantastic experience in performing for you, and that show remains the one outstanding in everyone's memory. See, what it is, it's the love. They, sh- they show up here. I mean, it, there was such great energy and great support and appreciation and celebration of who and what they were. And they got that. And we, you know, many of them didn't even speak English or speak it very well. And, of course, we couldn't speak their language, so, or most of us can't. So that was a, isn't that a sweet thing to hear and, and to know that, that we've touched lives, we've influenced people, we've shown them a possibility that maybe they weren't even aware of for themselves, and they lifted our hearts. So it's a wonderful exchange. So thank you for bringing us into the center and sharing your incredible energy with us. Next, I do want to talk to you about coming on a Sunday to do a song or two for you at your services. And I've mentioned this to Robin, so that would be a wonderful thing too. And Holly's a very gifted, talented musician. And finally, 
We had a tragedy befall one of our members shortly after his return to Africa. I, I can't even pronounce this young man's name, but I'll try. Tisildi Ramamini was poisoned at a birthday party he attended and collapsed into a coma the following morning. He has since come out of the coma, but remains paralyzed from the neck down. He currently requires a breathing tube and feeding tube to keep him alive. I've spoken to his doctor who tells me that they have been unable to identify the cause of the paralysis or the nature of the toxin he ingested. A group of us have decided to get together to do a healing circle this Sunday morning to channel our energy and healing and channel our healing thoughts toward him. I wonder if I could ask you to invite your congregation to take a moment in prayer for him this Sunday. A small group of us are going to meet at 10.30 a.m. to send him our healing energy and I thought it would be wonderful if we also had the power of your congregation sending a prayer this Sunday. Well, at the first service at 10.35, we, we did that. We, we did a prayer together for him. And so um, she said, and it, this is sweet, she says, I hope it isn't too forward of me to ask. When I started talking to friends about this, the center came to mind rather strongly. So I hope you don't mind me sending this request. So, we come to, to the center. We're, you're standing here. Someone comes up and says, my husband, 53 years old, passed away Wednesday. Would you be able to do the memorial service? I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to be at a Silomar. But we have other ministers that I think can help you with that. And so we prayed for her. We held her in prayer. Her name is Bonnie Connor. Her husband was Jim. We have this young man who went back from, from this experience, and he, for whatever reason, when we don't know and we wouldn't pretend to know, has had this experience now with his health. And, his, and so now he's paralyzed from the neck down until something shifts or changes. So what I know about all this is the thing that we can do, as much as we care, and it's an act or an opportunity to, to extend compassion, is that the thing that we do the best, I think, is we teach affirmative prayer. That despite what conditions look like, that we know that everything is God, that everything is God in expression, and that life and death has its sorrow as well as its joy. And we don't deny that. We're not a teaching that says all is well and all is right in terms of what is happening now to diminish what one person is experiencing or a group of people are experiencing. When this woman approached me this morning and told me about the loss of her husband, I was, I was, she, as she was crying, I was crying with her because it's such a sad experience. And that's part of life. That's part of showing up and being authentic and together and real in the moment, saying, I am so sorry. I, I offer my condolences. Anything else that I can do, please let me know. But it's also to know that this too is God in action. And that's the, that's the struggle for us many times, that we think that life will always be what we would consider joyful and good. And yet all of us, all of these bodies, we're going to wear these, these spacesuits out eventually. And yet what I do know, as Dr. Holmes said, and we talked about it last week, all these questions around death and the passing and the transition, life is a continuum. And this is one more continuum that we are on. We have come together to inform on this planet at this time to help move consciousness, to give birth to the new consciousness. When I was at the branding last week, I realized, I'm reminded so clearly, this is not about a building. This isn't about a group of people getting together and getting as many people together as possible, that doesn't really matter. What matters is that we give birth to a consciousness in our own lives in a way that's powerful, that supports what wants to be expressed. And when we look there, when that becomes our objective, then the, the vision and the possibility and the opportunity is vast and endless. We have an opportunity together as a community. I believe is a, the, the mission statement is to touch 100 million lives. To have as many people, I love what Kathy Ann Lewis says, 
Millions of people performing miracles with ease. Whatever that may be, whatever is called for. And to also know and understand that there's a greater good always operating. So if we pray for the healing of this young man in Africa, perhaps, and it doesn't happen, have we failed? Because we need to allow his soul and his spirit to have its bright and perfect experience. And if we can know that for him, and we can know that for this woman whose husband passed away unexpectedly this week, and we can know that for ourselves when things don't look as we planned them, when we find out we're in the wrong club, how do I get out of this? Because I feel stuck and I feel broken and I don't feel equipped to get out of this. We work with a practitioner and we learn to do affirmative prayer if that works for us. We learn to, despite what is going on in my life, this is the truth of what I know. My first church I was in, I was in the Fillmore Church of Religious Science in Southern California. It was a very small church. I'd gone through ministerial training. My teacher had retired and I'm sitting there. Second day I'm there, a woman walks in and she's going through this terrible separation and divorce. And I'm sitting there listening to her and I'm thinking the whole time I'm, while I'm listening, I'm saying to myself, what am I going to do? I haven't a clue what to do. And then all of a sudden this little voice said to me, yes you do, you do affirmative prayer. You know a bigger idea for her. You know that whatever's important for her, whether it be that this, this relationship come back together in a new way or that they end it in a beautiful way, whatever it may be, that's not my job to dictate it or to, to, to manipulate it, but to simply support them with a bigger idea. And it was such wonderful teaching for me. As a result of that woman coming in and overwhelming her, me with the request, I realized, you know what? I know spiritual mind treatment and this is what I'll do. And it made it so much easier for me to focus on that one thing. Is there anybody here that would like a prayer treatment today? Because I'm going to bring you up here and we're going to do it. Anybody? Uh, Leanne, come on up. Come on up, Leanne. Because I want to dovetail this. And, it's, it's, and so what we can do, this is what we do. We're a center that teaches affirmative prayer. In affirmative prayer, we live consciously and we choose an Hi, okay, thank you for coming up. How you doing? Good to see you. What would you like prayer support for today? I would like prayer support for clarity on that bigger and better idea. Okay, my life clarity. Mission, like how you okay, life purpose? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You good with that? I'm good. Okay, so let's pray. So let's know this. And we're going to take this young man from um, Amaze Choir into our prayer. We're going to take... Jim Connor into our prayer, and this is a prayer for all of us. Let us know that we set the intention in this moment. Let us know that we, that, that we shift and change whatever is right and perfect for us to shift and change in this moment, myself included in that. And so what I know in this moment, once again, with you and with your support as you breathe with me, and as we breathe, notice how your, your breathing is more peaceful and your mind more calm. So let us breathe together and be, be mindfully aware of this power and presence that is in and through and as us that we look only within to this locality of the infinite. And so I speak these words for Leanne. I speak these words for this young man in the Mameza Choir and for that group, that powerful group that touched our hearts in such a powerful way. And for this, man, this woman, Bonnie, who came today and shared with me the loss of her husband, Jim. And I name these people, as Dr. Holmes said, because in naming them, we, we capture their vibration. And so I know that we extend this prayer collectively in the recognition of the oneness of life, in the recognition of the eternality of life, that there's one life and that life is our life. It is all people's lives. We are brothers and sisters in this. And so we extend and know for Leanne the right and perfect clarity that allows her to move forward, the, the right steps, the right people, the right opportunities, the right knowing. We extend to this young man who lies in a bed somewhere, paralyzed from the neck down, that the right and perfect diagnosis, healthcare practitioner experience that allows his soul to become the most brilliant expression of the infinite on this planet possible by means of him. He is supported in that here and now. 
And I know that this woman who lost her husband, this woman who's suddenly lost the beloved in her life, is supported is, is her family, the loved ones, that the sorrow and the, and the loss and all that that contains, that she is, continues to be supported and loved and resourced in every way possible as she moves through this. So as a community, we stand for this and more. We know that as, as Leanne's consciousness is shift, all of our consciousness is shift, as well as for Bonnie, and as well as this young man in Africa. And we loose them to have their own experience. We know that there's something within them that does know the right and perfect way. We celebrate that. We know that for one another. We release these words in gratitude and appreciation for the blessings that this day holds. I give thanks knowing beforehand that these prayers are already answered as we open our hearts and open our minds. And so I release these words with you. And in doing so, together we say, and so it is. Thank you. Thanks for coming up. So, you know, what happens when we do that? What, what goes on when we do this affirmative prayer stuff? I have a wonderful story I want to share with you. I think it illustrates it so beautifully. In AD 800, Pope Leo, remember Pope Leo? He was my favorite pope. I don't know about you, but uh, anyway, I'm just kidding. I was raised Catholic, so I had to memorize the popes for a while. I can't remember them all now, but... Anyway, Pope Leo was 800 A.D., and he crowned Charlemagne, the emperor of the Romans. He said, Charlemagne, come on, you are now emperor of the Romans. So, Charlemagne, so what happens established a direct link between the church and the state. And so from then on, the holy Roman emperors, followed by the kings of Europe, were imbued with the glow of divinity. All of a sudden, you're sanctioned by the church. You're divine. And so what came from that was the royal touch. And so it is said that they, the emperor would pass through the crowd and he would touch people. And healings would take place. In fact, the most successful was Charles II. From 1630 to 1685, it was reported he touched over 100,000 people. And many healings took place. Shakespeare had this to say. Strangely visited in Macbeth, he said this. Strangely visited people, all sworn and ulcerous, pitiful to the eye, put on with holy prayers, and tis spoken the healing benediction. This is all about the royal touch. So healing touch continued till 1820 or thereabouts because the monarchs at that point in time were no longer considered to be divine. Their humanity started showing through. And there were new advances in Egyptian mummy ointments that made the royal touch obsolete. It's all a reflection of consciousness. So we talk about this thing. We talk about the placebo effect. Placebo, when, one of the things that happened with placebo effect, did you know that if you have a cold, a third of all colds, well, a third of all viral colds, are, are given antibiotics. Now, antibiotics do not help with a virus, if you know that, anything about medicine. But if you go to the doctor and say it's a virus, antibiotics aren't going to help. Statistically, and I got this from predictably irrational, statistically, a third of all those cases, doctors will still pres prescribe antibiotics because people feel better when they leave the office with a prescription. And what happens when, when they get the prescription and they don't have the other information and it doesn't do anything, well, what happens is they, it reduces their stress level. They're more peaceful. And so when they're more peaceful, all of a sudden there's hormonal changes that can kick in. And then the immune system responds. So when we do prayer treatment, and we're present in the moment, and we're mindful of that there's a power for good in the universe, and I use it now, and how do I use it? I open up to it. In order for that to be most effective, my experience is we relax. We reduce our stress level. See, that's why meditation is so important. When you relax and allow things to move through you, the awareness shows up, the conversation continues, there's hormonal changes that take place. It's all reflected in health. 
And so the doctors know this. The doctors know that there's no real need for the antibiotic, and yet they give it anyway. And people respond because the intelligence within your body knows what you need and goes about creating what you need. Candace Pert talks about it in her book, Your Body is Your Subconscious Mind. Bruce Lipton talks about it in his, The, um, um, the Biology of Belief. So we know it works. So what we do consciously, because we're not living in that unconscious anymore, we're living consciously. And so when we do affirmative prayer, we connect with this divine source of life. There's one power, one presence. That life is my life. That's very powerful. It's not out there. It's not somewhere else. I'm not beseeching God to come in and bestow a blessing. That power and presence is here now. And so what I know in this moment is I'm moving out of this club of poverty and lack and limitation. To, to move into a, a, an idea or an experience that's different than that, for example. And so it's so important for us to realize the tool we have, that whatever the facts are, whatever club we happen to be in this day, it's our opportunity to plant a new seed. We are planting, the plant that we, we, we reap is a direct result of that seed that we have planted. It can be no other, as Dr. Holmes said. And so when we get together, you know, and I think it's important to remind, if you're new here or don't understand affirmative prayer, affirmative prayer is very, very powerful. When I was in Fillmore and I started treating, I was $20,000 in, in the red when I took that job over. Because I, and I knew that taking the job. My predecessor had borrowed money from a member to tw- the tone of tw- uh, tune of $20,000. And I said, you know what? I'm gonna, we, we can demonstrate. It wasn't me. We can demonstrate a bigger idea around this. And within six months, we had paid that, that person back and the church started to grow but what I knew is I didn't know how to do it but I knew something within me knew how to do it and I was available to that and so whenever I got into worry or concern or doubt or fear I would go right into treatment I used to carry a copy of creative thought in my hip pocket and went and if I didn't have time to do my own prayer I'd pull it out and I would read if you've ever seen a little magazine back there it's a wonderful tool I would pull it out and whosoever prayer it was I didn't care what it opened to I knew that it was right and perfect for me what it did is it brought me back out of that worry that spin and I knew that that was part of my spiritual practice because at that point in time I was a carpenter. So sometimes I'd be on a job site and you know, we were in the middle of standing a wall up and I'm reading a prayer and saying, what are you doing? I'm just reading something. I'd stuff it back in my pocket, stand the wall up, pull it back out for 30 seconds, put it back in. I was good for another hour or however long it took. I had to have spiritual tools that kept me immersed and marinating in this bigger idea. Otherwise I'd spin just like everybody else, never get a break, life's, you know, life's, not for me, whatever it may be. So I think it's so important for, to be reminded of that, to be brought back to the fundamentals of what we do and what you can do. And so when you do class here, the emphasis is always on, on that spiritual transformation through spiritual mind treatment. It's a powerful mystical tool. For centuries, it wasn't even a popular idea in some of the old esoteric teachings because they, they knew that it could be abused. And so it's important that along with the information and the opportunity to apply it, it becomes great responsibility to use it well, to use it powerfully. So let's know this together, right here and right now. And I'm going to lead back into this with Dr. Holmes as Robin comes up. It's so beautiful. The the arrogant have not perceived the simplicity of faith, but the pure of heart see God. The farmer has seen the heavenly host in his fields. The child has frolicked with him at play. The mother has clasped him to her breast and the fond lover has seen him in the eyes of his beloved. We look too far away for reality. So with that in mind, the blessings of this brilliant man who left so many beautiful 
writings to us, some so poetic and some so practical. But let us know that God is here for us. You, not someone else, not your neighbor, you and me. And this infinite divine expression of life is the father-mother principle, the masculine and the feminine. It is all the names that we can imagine. It matters not what we call it, but that we call it. And so let us move this week in knowing and reminding that whatever is right and perfect for us reveals itself. Whatever is important for you or I to put down so that we can be that more brilliant expression of the infinite, to be more receptive to the guidance and the opportunities, we are that. And as we know this for ourselves, let us share in that knowing for our brothers and sisters, for for Leanne who has stepped forward and asked for clarity. Let us know that her clarity is our clarity. For this young man who lies in that bed in, in Africa, let us know that he is receiving all the care all of the insight and the transformation of his consciousness that is right and perfect for him. Whatever it may be, we need not outline it. But we understand he is divine and eternal and whatever unfolds for him is right and perfect. As well as this family that is grieving this day and anyone else that sits in this community within earshot of these words, the support and the awareness and the clarity, the resources, the love, and that divine knowing grounded in the truth of our being is your truth as well. And So I just give thanks this day. I give thanks this day for this community, for this teaching, for all the great teachers that have come before us. And also I celebrate our teens this day who are with us. It is Teen Sunday, and they are about to embark on their summer camp. Let us know that these teens have everything they need, that each one of them travels in safety, in the, in the, in the love, in the support, and the beautiful synchronicity that life has to offer all of us, as well as their facilitators, the people that travel with them. We give thanks for Reverend Catherine Cardinal and her commitment to this youth group, Reverend Connie Nissen, and all of the other people that will travel with these youth. And so we know that their lives, these leaders of tomorrow, are blessed and resourced and supplied in every way possible. And so I give thanks this day as we, we share our offering and share our gifts. Let us know that these seeds plant, plant the possibility and this, this crop of unbounded abundance, not just financially, but in, in health, and vibrancy and the ability to take this teaching and touch lives and help transform the consciousness on this planet. And so I give thanks. I give thanks this day for all the blessings, those that have been, those that are, and those that are yet to reveal themselves. I give thanks. I release these words, and together we say, and so it is.